as hell and I wanna get ill So I go to a place where my homeboys chill Fellas out there trying to make that dollar I pulled up in the six foot Alright everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Bored as Hell podcast um, I'm Adam McDonald with Big Shiny Robot And I am Andy Wilson, aka Citizen Bot, also Big Shiny Robot And I'm live in Salt Lake City Yes he is, the, uh, the planets have aligned, the seventh sign of the apocalypse is upon us Oh my gosh and we are getting to record together in the same room, um, so there shouldn't be any of this internet latency that my crappy internet normally causes us. <laughs> and, and Adam smells really, really pretty. So. I do. I, I put on my, my my rose lips and all this kind of fun stuff, and I don't know what I'm saying because I'm, I'm not that gay. Uh, <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah, so welcome to a new episode. Uh, we've got two movies to talk about before we dive into our Empire Strikes Back retrospective. Uh, we've got Krampus and Trumbo, and the really crappy thing about, well, first of all, Krampus wasn't screened, so Andy... No, it was not. Out of the goodness of his horror, went and saw it, and I went to go see it, and then got struck by a migraine, so... I have not much to say this episode about Krampus or Trumbo, because work killed my chance to go see Trumbo. Well... Adam, the the really easy thing about Krampus is I can ask you one question and find out whether this movie is for you or not. Okay, go. Shoot. Are you interested in seeing a movie about a rampaging, cloven-hoofed, evil Santa Claus punishing a family of sociopaths that is like the Griswolds times ten? Is that interesting in a movie too, and it's it's rated PG thirteen, mm-hmm. so it's not gonna be that violent. So it's kind of toned down. So are children at peril? Yeah, kinda. I mean, because doesn't Krampus come and like steal the bad children and put them in a sack and take them away? And yeah, but in this movie, he's punishing everyone. Oh, and so there's evil elves and there's evil toys, and they're coming out and like. One of the toys, like, actually, like, swallows the kids whole and, like, puts him into Krampus's bag and I guess they get sent to hell or so something. So it sounds like it's, like, Deadites in Toyland. Yeah, it, it kind of is that, but a little bit neutered. Um, so well, it, Children in Peril makes me happy. So, yes, I, I would like to see it. This is very much even more so, like, I mean, there's Children in Peril, but the real stars here are the adult cast. We've got Adam Scott from like. Parks and Recreation. Yes. Do you like him? Uh, David Keckner, uh, who is very, very funny. We like him. And uh, he is in full-on, like... He is Cousin Eddie <coughs> from uh, from Christmas Vacation. Which we just watched last night, which yeah. was fun. <laughs> With, that was very fun. The remastered Christmas Vacation. Please go get that. It's fun. It, it looks great. pretty, too. It, it does. It looks really good. Anyway, so Cousin Eddie mm-hmm. meets your crazy right-wing uncle who is going to vote for Donald Trump next year. Okay. So, yeah. Do they, so, do they get killed? Uh, oh, yeah. Everybody dies in this movie. Okay, cool. Then I'm in. I'm so, 100% in. <laughs> oh, spoiler alert. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> there, there, the I have, I have some issues with this movie. The ending... I don't know whether it neutered it or whether it made it awesome. And when you actually see this movie, we can talk about that. But it's got kind of a weird ending, and I don't know whether whether I like it or whether I don't. Uh, but like I said, the cast is really good. Oh, Tony Collette. 
plays oh, the mom in this. Led, yes. She is great in this. And and there's this... It's really great because Adam Scott and Tony Collette kind of turn into these badasses mm-hmm. in there. And it's like... It, it, David Koechner has all the guns and his Hummer, and he's like, "We're gonna go out and we're gonna get them sons of bitches," sort of, <laughs> sort of stuff. And uh, you had no idea that like Tony Collette could like take a rampaging Christmas angel and just be like, "Boom, headshot." Ooh, yeah. So there's there's some fun in here. I wish they'd had the balls to make this an R-rated movie, which they should have, because uh, the same director of uh, Trick or Treat did yep. this, and Trick or Treat, which. I need to watch again because when I saw it, I enjoyed it. It's not, for me, a Halloween classic yet, but what I saw, I really liked, and I can see that with repeat viewings, uh, and thank you, Netflix, for taking it off so I can watch it again. Um, it could become one of those movies that I just go to like every... In fact, we actually, with Big China Robot, with our um, Halloween movie review, we did Trick or Treat. I think, mm-hmm. did you do it or did I do it? I think you did it. I, I might have. I think that was when I saw it for the first time. Yeah. Um, so I was really excited to hear about you know his take on Krampus. But, yeah, it, it seems like they should have just gone balls to the wall and done, you know, the an R-rated movie. Because that's kind of what you expect from this evil demon that comes to murder children. The, the other thing is, is it would have done well to do this, like Trick or Treat, in an anthology fashion. So, multiple stories showing how Krampus showed up and... Or, or even you make a Christmas version of Trick or Treat. Oh, that would be awesome. With a Krampus and have... Um, An evil Grinch. Yeah, yeah, maybe. You know, but come up with a couple of other storylines. Because this is a very basic thing. And it's like, there's only so long that you can care about this family being in peril. And also the whole purpose of this is, the Krampus is coming to punish them because they are assholes. (laughs) And, I mean, the movie starts with a uh, montage of them running into the mall and everybody running into the mall and people trampling one another to get gifts. It's like and, South Park. Yeah, it's just <clears throat> awful and terrible. <coughs> and these are not very good people. I mean, Adam Scott and Tony Collette and that part of the family, they're the better ones. And the rest of the family is just psycho. So basically, but, this movie does to the characters what I wish would have happened to everyone from Love the Coopers. You know what? If the Krampus had come and killed everyone from oh, Love I would the give it a perfect ten. That would have been great. The, like, yeah, let's do that. So anyway, so it's it's a neutered <laughs> horror movie. What are you kind of thinking with this one? Yeah, no, this is right down the middle. Five out of ten. I think if this is an appealing premise for you, by the premise, by the bit, you're gonna have a good time. If you're like that, doesn't seem very Christmassy to me. And you're not really going to be into this movie. <laughs> so, that, that's that's all I can say. Now, what you... If Krampus is not your bag, and you're looking for something a little more artsy-fartsy, there's a movie out there that kind of quietly slid in uh, to the art house cinemas um, called Trumbo, which is the story of Dalton Trumbo, real-life story mm-hmm. of the... who was at the time in the 1950s uh, the highest-paid... Uh, writer in Hollywood. And actually, I did finally get around to seeing Bridge of Spies, and I did catch the uh, the Trumbo Easter egg yeah. they threw in there. So that was kind of fun. Yeah. So there, this is very interesting. Uh, Trumbo was one of the Hollywood Ten who were blacklisted for being communists. Uh, they were called before Congress. They refused to cooperate. Didn't name names. 
and so uh, basically the the studios were cajoled into saying we will never hire any of these people who are communists uh, and this tells their story and essentially what ended up happening was uh, Trumbo went off and started writing other movies under other people's names Mm -hmm. and um, so he kind of kept this up for many many years what is really on display here though is the acting prowess of every single person in this movie. Well, I've heard Brian Cranston is just absolutely fantastic. Like if you have liked Brian Cranston before, you're going to walk away from this just blown away how good he is. I mean, dude goes to prison. There's that whole thing. Uh there's the ups and downs of him as, you know, he kind of starts off in in this sense where He's kind of fueled by, you know, booze and cigarettes as he types away on his computer. Hey, so are we, yeah. At least one of us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then um and then like as time goes on and things become more stressful for him, and he's writing these like B movies under assumed names, uh, and he's like starting to take like amphetamines to like be able to keep going and he's starting to kind of become a little bit more unhinged and not as nice of a guy to his family. Yeah, uh, there's a real character arc here, and you you really get to see what happened to these people and the real life effects of being blacklisted. Mm-hmm. Um, it it almost comes off kind of like not only anti-blacklist but kind of pro-communist, which well, is kind of weird. And, but... and see, my, my point on this whole thing is. Yeah, it was during you know, McCarthyism and the blacklisting and, and the communists, the Red Scare, and this and that. And I think with a modern sensibility, is like I, I'm sure we all have friends who probably have socialist leanings and this and that. And honestly, I, I, th- I remember I was reading somewhere about this movie that his whole point was like, it doesn't matter what I believe if I'm keeping it to myself and I'm not out there, you know, let's say I'm the most hardcore communist in the world. I'm not out there trying to turn the government into a communist government. It's just it's my personal beliefs. And it, looking at it through the lens of 2015, there are people out there who have the same thing, where whatever political issue you want to look at, and there's a, a bunch of them, so we're not going to get into that, but a lot of people out there, even with some fringe beliefs, are just saying, like, look, it's just what I believe. I don't, I'm not saying, yes, we all should go out and buy guns. I'm not saying, yes, we all should go out and ban guns. I'm just saying, this is my thought, and I'm allowed to have that. Yeah. And that's something that wasn't really prevalent back when we had a cross-dresser trying to, uh, you know, subvert <laughs> America. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's really interesting. And, yeah, I, I don't get the sense that Trumbo's politics were really any that much further to the left of, say, a Bernie Sanders. Or probably where a lot of people are in Hollywood these days. Or even maybe where I am. Um, but Communist! It, <laughs> get out of my house! I'm a communist! Get out! Oh my gosh, I'm not a communist. But, uh, the... Are it's, you sure, comrade? <laughs> well, I, I do speak fluent Russian. Fluent Russian, <laughs> so, <laughs> Anyway, uh, there's this great interplay between Cranston and Louis C.K., which, man, Louis C.K. just knocks it out of the park in this movie, who's another one of these blacklisted writers, and he is way far to the left of Trumbo, and he's like, look, he basically calls him a limousine liberal. He's like, you're the highest paid guy in Hollywood. And it, 
I'm trying to fundamentally tear down a lot of what our society is about and all of this materialism and here you are in this really nice house you've got your own lake you've got a horse that your kids ride around on Ooh, and like yeah fancy but there's this great scene with Cranston where uh, he's talking to his oldest daughter and she's riding on that horse and he's like dad people in school are saying you're a communist and he's like well I've got a I've got a question for you if you go to school and your mom has made you your favorite lunch and you see another kid who didn't bring their lunch, what do you do to him? He's like, well, I'd share it with him. Oh, well, then you're a communist. <laughs> you, don't, you don't tell him you need to go and get a job. You don't say it's your own fault you didn't bring your own lunch. You should, you should remember to do that. You go and share with him. Then I don't know. Maybe you're a communist. Too. I, you know, that that's very simplistic and... You know, we could go on and on for hours. And it about. almost it kind of reminds me of the, uh, the the best ice cream flavor is vanilla or chocolate from uh, Thank You for Smoking. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It, and it's maybe oversimplified, but it's it's really nice. And, and Trumbo's politics really are that the government has no right to say, are you now or have you ever been a member of the Communist Which Party? Which is what I was saying, was you exactly. don't have that right to... Again, we, you know, it, it wasn't written until... <laughs> decades later, but we look at George Orwell's 1984 with the Thought Police, where it was the exact opposite way, where if you believe different than, you know, well, I guess it was kind of the same in the sense that you thought differently than the government. But yeah, no one really has that right or ever should have that right to be like, you cannot think this way. Yeah. Unless you're, you know, Bill Cosby. <laughs> well, you're not allowed to touch children. <laughs> I think you, I mean, if you want to think about touching children, I mean, no one's going to stop you. I would say you probably but shouldn't it, be doing yeah, that. Yeah, there's there's a whole part of the internet devoted to that, and you just go there and get arrested. So. Exactly. So, but but it's it's more about what you do than than what you're thinking about. And the the whole point here, really, though, and and he makes this case. He's like, well, what if they then? What if you go before the House Committee and you say, oh yes, you know. I know all these communists. I got tricked. I used to be one. Well, wh- what about? Are you a Democrat? Are you a Democrat? Have you? Are you now, or have you ever been a Democrat? Well, okay, yes. And then, what about all of your friends who are Democrats? And it becomes this slippery slope of, you know, are we going to police where people are politically? And I understand where they were in the 50s, but it was just such an overreaction. But the, the great thing about all of this is you get to see the, the rise and fall of Trumbo and what happens to him when people start finding out that he's writing these scripts. And Kirk Douglas comes to him and he's like, I want you to write this movie for me called Spartacus. Spartacus? Oh, and it's just... And they weave so much of that into this. And Helen Mirren plays a, a journalist busybody who's out there harassing Trumbo and trying to keep him from uh, she's like he Trumbo wrote Roman Holiday and he wrote he wrote the one and he wrote all of these other scripts and I know it and they try and go after him she they try to go to the offices of the studio heads and try and intimidate them where he's been turning in these scripts uh, studio heads played by John Goodman and Stephen Root. And they okay. are hilarious. <coughs> Absolutely hilarious. And John Goodman, his reaction to Dan Bacadal from The Daily Show coming in is like, 
we're from the American Cinematic Guild, and we we think you're hiring communists. Man. And he's like, oh, he gives it to him so good, and it's just <laughs> it, it's kind of like the scene uh, with Ice Cube from Straight Outta Compton. Oh my gosh, it's just awesome. It's so good. Everyone in this movie is great. Um, I, th- this is totally worth your time. There's plenty of Oscar buzz around this. And what I really, really wish is that the Oscars had a uh, had an acting award for an ensemble drama. Because mm-hmm. this is a team effort. Louis C.K. could not have been as good in this role without Brian Cranston. And Brian right. Cranston couldn't have been as good without Louis C.K. and without his wife, played by Diane Lane. Mm-hmm. Like, she's amazing. And some of the scenes between the two of them. And Alan Tudyk is in it and uh, plays the guy who takes credit for writing Roman Holiday, even though Trumbo wrote it. <laughs> uh, there's just, there's so much in here. And every single one of these actors, there's an actor who's playing John Wayne. And even though it's, it's kind of good, he doesn't go completely over the top. He doesn't go full John Wayne. He doesn't go full John Wayne. But he, he embodies enough of the spirit that you're like, yeah, this is, <laughs> this is good. There's some great scenes between the two of them. And there's just... Uh, stay through the credits because they show old newsreel footage of Trumbo and pictures of him. Like, there's these scenes where Brian Cranston's in the bath smoking cigarettes, writing his scripts. And then you see pictures of the actual Dalton Trumbo <laughs> in his bath smoking c- uh, cigarettes with a, a bottle of bourbon and a... And a Pen and pad. It's just—it's <laughs> great. It's just absolutely great. Um, check this out. Uh, it's there's going to continue to be Oscar buzz around this, and I'm glad I finally got to see it. Cool. So where are we at? Oh, I'm at a nine out of ten out of this. Wow. So nice. this is this is in my top five right now. Oh wow. Um, we got two more weeks till Star Wars, and so we'll see if True. it if it who it knocks out. So, uh, and speaking of Star Wars... Speaking of Star Wars... Uh, we, we are into... Uh, we've got two movies left. Uh, we've got Return of the Je- Jedi next week, uh, which will finish up right before The Force Awakens. Uh, but this week, we are going over Empire Strikes Back, which, for my money, uh, is the best Star Wars movie. It's definitely in my top ten movies of all time. It is the best movie, in my opinion. I, I stand by that statement. I cannot think of a better made film on any number of of things it's just it's just beautiful beautiful art yeah. I love it and what's, what's really cool with Empire is that as we talked about with uh, New Hope and also the, the prequels was George Lucas with this film I mean because we'll when he did Star Wars he wrote it directed it this and that had a heart attack the movie nearly killed the man and he finally kind of was like okay I've got this idea for a script, I've got this, this story, this these plot points, Lawrence Kasdan, you take it and run with it. And he did, and he made one a fantastic script, uh, turned over to a new director. So, what we were talking about forever, and what, what Geek Show talked about, if you listen to them, which you should, because they're amazing. Yes. Uh, Lucas is great with world building, and with coming up with these great ideas, then he should take those ideas and hand them over to someone else, and that's what he did with Empire and to, there's I can't think of a flaw with a movie you know it's one of those few movies I sit back and I look at it it's like if I was in, you know, I am in no way shape or form 
a movie director or a writer or anything else, but as we do as, as a critics, sitting down and be like, if what could I have done to this movie to make it better? What would have changed? What would I have done differently? And there isn't anything. I can't think of a single thing that, if you hear that, that's that's the dog snoring. Oh, Badger is snoring. Yeah, she is. Hi, Badger. But, uh, yeah, that's... There's, there, I wouldn't change anything. I mean, it's it's yeah. magnificent from beginning to end. It's the perfect middle act of a three-part trilogy. Uh, well, which I guess is the definition of a trilogy is yeah. three parts. Uh, second act of a three-act play, I guess what I meant yeah. to say. There's, it's just magnificent. I mean, it's some of the best performances we've gotten out of the characters to this date. Um, it's a wonderful script. There's obviously the big plot twist everyone knows, which no one saw coming. I don't think anyone in the right mind would have seen that. Remarkable characters you'll never forget. Uh, it's 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 practically amazing. Yeah, I mean, I want to take a step back and think about this for a while. When they made Empire Strikes Back, at the time it was sequels are always money grabs. They're never as good as the first. Lucas set the bar. For what a second chapter was. And it was one of the first movies where the sequel was better than the original. Yeah. It's and it's just absolutely amazing. And we talked last week about what a weird movie Star Wars is. If you stop and think about it. Empire Strikes Back is even weirder. You've got an action movie that doesn't have a major action sequence for its climax. The big action sequence happens at the beginning of oh, the yeah. Battle of Hoth which for my money that's that's the best part of Star Wars right there is the Hoth stuff like that's what really gets me going the Imperial Walkers and taking them down with tow cables and that's what really gets me Jones in. and uh, and Vader and uh, the Stormtroopers like coming in through the snow and they're wearing like full-on KKK white hoods. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh my gosh, what are they doing? And, they, <laughs> and they've got that music. Dun, 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 oh, yeah. dun. We didn't talk about that last week. Let's take... We talked about Everything how, but the music, pretty much. And, I, I meant to. We just... I was I was sick and just kind of slipped my mind because you know, thank you, cold medicine. Well, but we spent all of that time talking about the art that inspired Star Wars. About and Macquarie, that, yeah. About Macquarie. John Williams is as important to what makes Star Wars Star Wars as George Lucas, in my mind. Agreed. And the Empire Strikes Back soundtrack stands, in my mind, as the greatest movie soundtrack ever. He introduced in that the most iconic piece of Star Wars music. I think that that Darth Vader theme, the Imperial March, is more iconic even than the main Star Wars theme. And... It's, it's phenomenal, and he even he's weaving things things <coughs> in there, like Boba Fett has a theme in that movie. It's just it's really small, it's really subtle, but it's da 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 <laughs> da, da and it's perfect. And I I do have one gripe with Boba Fett. Um, oh, shut your whore mouth. No, listen, listen. I love Boba Fett. Boba Fett's amazing. Uh. He's a great character. I've loved him forever. At the same time, as much as I think he's a badass, he doesn't do much of anything. <laughs> he He's the only person that can, like, stand up to Vader. He was never worried about getting force-choked. 
and Vader had to reel him in. He's like, no disintegrations. <laughs> As no, you I'm wish. Not, I'm not downplaying the character. I love the character to death. It was just, it's always kind of funny when I think back about Boba Fett and... He didn't do much of anything. <laughs> he flew out of the garbage and tracked them down. That was, was about it. He was smart enough to figure out what was going on in Han Solo's head. Oh, yeah. And it I'm was just... crazy like a fox. That's what... And smart enough to figure out that he could both make a bounty for the Empire and then turn around and double dip by selling him back to Jabba the Hutt. Very true. Uh, that's just... I Brilliant. I love him. And I... But the great thing about Boba Fett is how mysterious and enigmatic he was. I w- I'm one of those people that, I mean, I'm glad I know about the clones and more so for what happens in the Clone Wars cartoons and, and that. But like finding out about Boba Fett as a kid in the, in the prequels, I was just like kind of let down a little bit. Because that's, like, my favorite character. And, I do have actually a really funny story about that, by the way. Uh, is it the Patton Oswalt story where he about how much he loves Boba Fett? And, no, it's about... No, uh, okay. It's about... Bo- it's in Attack of the Clones, and it goes back to our thing how George Lucas isn't the greatest director in the world, was when uh, the the young kid Boba Fett comes in and meets Obi-Wan for the first time, gives him that really weird, nasty look. Yeah. They did take after take after take, and he wouldn't give the great... He wouldn't give the look. So finally, between takes, Ewan McGregor leans down and he's like, hey, so when you come in and look at me, I want you to react like you just smelled a really nasty fart. <laughs> and that was the take they used. Uh, that's <laughs> awesome. So Ewan McGregor is a better director than George Lucas. <laughs> Ewan McGregor's a better at a lot of things than most people. Oh, man. Respect to Ewan McGregor. Ewan, oh. it hits the tub, McGregor. Oh, my gosh. I'm... <laughs> <laughs> he just... and Michael Fassbender are friends. We'll just say that. <laughs> <laughs> Go rent shame, everyone. No, don't rent shame. Never mind. Or transplanting. Oh, uh, anyways. Transplanting. Uh, anyway, Empire. let's stop talking about that. <laughs> let's go back to Empire and how and how great this is. Um, Yoda. Oh my gosh. What Again, with a weird, weird story this is. Luke's going to go to a swamp planet... And he's going to talk to a Muppet for half the movie? And that's who's going to train him in the Force? What? Who came up with that concept? That's like so totally dumb, but it's so genius. And Frank Oz pulls that off so good. It's absolutely insane. Oh, agreed. You, and you go back and you watch about how, how hellish... It was to shoot at that Dagobah set. Oh, yeah, and, where it was a raised set, and they had the, the Bubbeteers underneath, and it was just, it was, like, trap doors everywhere, and... And it would, it would literally take them four or five hours to set up for Yoda to do one line. Yeah. Like, three, four seconds, and that's it. And that's just what it took. That's insane. But that art... And that perfection shows through. And it's just amazing to see that because that puppet looks real. Like, that's so crazy. I mean, you can go and look at some of Jim Henson's other work. Like, you watch stuff like Dark Crystal or Labyrinth Mm -hmm. and you're like, yeah, that's a good looking puppet. But it's a puppet. Yoda? You believe... That Yoda that, was there. It was a real Yoda thing. Yoda was there. It was a real <laughs> thing. And he's 
he's funny at the beginning, and he's like, oh, cannot get your ship out. And he's like, totally oh. making fun of, yeah. totally making fun of Luke. And then you figure out what he's been doing, and you're like, this guy, that's why he's the Jedi Master. When he's like, I can't train this guy. And, like, I mentioned last week about how Star Wars is, like, my second religion. And I have learned more from Yoda than almost anyone else. Like, that's a... There's so many lessons there. Like, just luminous beings are we. Mm. Not this crude matter. And there's there's so much that is absolutely amazing there. I, I think I think it'd be it'd be fair to say that a lot of the the requotable stuff from Star Wars comes from Yoda. I mean absolutely. yeah, may the force be with you, you know, Luke, you know, no, no I am your father. Uh, but you know, do or do not, there is no try, judge me by my size, do you? Yeah, you know, there's there's a lot of stuff that we get from that what maybe a I think it's maybe a total of twenty minute scene. Yeah. There's not a lot of Yoda in no, there. No, there is another. I mean there's there's so much that you know, he impacts the movie and of course in Jedi as well, but he you know, in Jedi he's old and frail and, you know, passing on. This is kind of where you get to see you know, what you really didn't get from the prequels was his sense of humor. Mm-hmm. And you that really comes across strongly, like you mentioned, when he first meets Luke and and he eats his little nutrition bar. He's like, bah, bah. <laughs> how do you get so big eating food like this? Yeah, and there's there's and you know messing with R two and mine, 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 and he's beating him with a little stick and like there's there's so much humor there that doesn't really come across elsewhere. But this, in one second, he flips into that Jedi Master mold and becomes you know the one of the greatest Jedi of all time. So yeah, and let, let's talk about the humor. Like this movie is really funny. The Han and Leia stuff, that's like, this is like vintage Hollywood <clears throat> romantic comedy Who's scruffy stuff. looking? Who's scruffy looking? The, like, all of that Han and Leia stuff. And it's a beautiful romance. Except, there's a couple little times where Han Solo's really pressing his advantage. <laughs> well, like, okay, so, so Brooke and I were watching this the other night. Uh, we just threw it on because we both had some work to do and we were hanging out and um, that part where they're inside the, the space slug yeah the space slug and uh, he falls down or she falls down into his lap and she's like she's he's like don't get excited and she's like captain we uh, uh, there's not enough to make me excited and he's yeah, like yeah. he's like well sorry sweetheart and picks her up we don't have time for anything else he totally grabs her by her boobs. Like, <laughs> watch that the next time. He totally cops a feel as he pushes Carrie Fisher up. You bastard. <laughs> you bastard Han Solo. And that's kind of why we love him. Oh, just Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher do such a great job in that. And that leads me to my most favorite part of this entire movie. Is that carbon freeze sequence. I talk about oh, how weird... Iconic how weird this movie is that that shit is orange that scene is all orange like what is going on in there it's so crazily lit and there's smoke and the bad guys are everywhere and man they're gonna lose Han Solo might die right here well, and actually, that's why they did it, was because he wasn't under contract to come back for Return of the Jedi, so they didn't know if he was going to come back. 
That's why they had to have the out of he may or may not have died or we'll never see him again. That's that's absolutely which again it's 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 taking you know very much you know the the, well let me sit back here and tell you the story of why no one really cares about that but that is kind of no that's that's good that's important yeah because we didn't know and I mean uh, Harrison Ford has always said like he thought Han should have died yeah and I think it would have been it would have been more impactful but at the same time we did we we got that downrending no one leaves happy everything goes to hell. Which is what you expect in the end of a second act. Um, but we are remiss if we don't bring up, not one, but the only two black guys in all of Star Wars up till Force Awakens. Oh, Will Rowe Hood. Hats off to Will Rowe Hood. Yeah, oh and, my gosh, and, he's amazing. And that must be the world's greatest ice cream maker. Um, <laughs> you know, For those of you guys who are playing the, the Star Wars trading card game on iOS and Android, every single Sunday for a while they're there doing like, their top's choice, which was the unsung heroes of Star Wars. Uh, and the one week they did Will Row Hood, and it's him running off with his ice cream machine. And I, I will not lie, I spent five dollars trying to get that stupid card, and I got it. And I'm I got very it. excited. I got. I spent all of my credits that day, and I yeah. got that Will Row Hood card. But Will Row Hood, and then of course Lando. Lando. I mean, Lando comes in, and and it was really cool because they didn't explain his character. That just like Han's like, hey, I know this guy. He's at Cloud City, and. When he comes out, when you first meet him, he plays the whole, like, you got a lot of nerve coming here, and then, oh, hey, we're friends, and then you find out Lando's just a, he's, he's a scoundrel like Han. Yeah. And who would have say that if it was switch spots, and Han Solo was the head of Cloud City when the Empire came and knocked, and he wouldn't have done the same thing. I mean, this is someone he hasn't seen for years, and who he lost the Millennium Falcon to. Yeah. So, you know, as much as they set it up to be almost kind of a villain, and then he redeems himself, and then, of course, later on, we find out more about him, but... Lando's a great character. Lando's a fantastic, wonderful character, and he, he again, we talked about the humor and the kind of brings that bit of lightheartedness to. Hello, what have we here? Mm, <laughs> yeah, um, just a lot of stuff that again, a movie as dark as this is needs to lift it up to give us a break. Like one thing, you know, I loved the uh, the Man of Steel movie, uh-huh. the last Batman, uh, Superman movie. My biggest problem was when I finally got out of there, it was such a relief almost because the movie was so heavy-handed. There was no brevity. And that's what was really cool about Empire was that it's so perfectly balanced to have crazy intense scenes where Han and Chewie are getting tortured. And then the next moment we got you know people you know saving the day and you know gives you that breath of relief. And we see, yeah. again, Will Rowe Hood running off with his ice cream machine. <laughs> Little things like that that just break up the tension and let you kind of have a chance to just... <sighs> take a breath and then get to the next scene is again it's it's masterful pacing this it's a perfect movie it's a, it's a 10 it's absolutely a perfect movie there's and Roger Ebert said when when they released the special edition and they added in some of the extra things like this is why I love the special edition of Empire Strikes Back is because the editions that they made they didn't really mess around with that movie that much. But it's just like, oh, there wasn't a window here before. Now there is a window and we can see out some more of the beautiful Cloud City. Yeah, and see, those are great. those are changes I'm fine with. Uh-huh. Anyway, so Ebert said that it was the greatest, um, the greatest looking American film ever made. 
just it's it, actually you know and again we're not talking about the AFI or yeah. that kind of stuff but a lot of people do consider it one of the best movies ever made yeah and I, I would I, I do but I mean I mean you look at my top 10 and I've also got the Avengers in there so I mean <laughs> yeah, I've, I've got a real popcorn sensibility as much as I really like to be a film snob sometimes this is where it's at when you can deliver that much heart in a you know kind of a, a silly movie and it's just it's just it's so perfect right I, but even even saying your film's not part i mean the the technical aspect of making this movie which we've talked about the soundtrack and a lot mm-hmm. of the stuff it's still it's it's like you know go back to film school 101 they're going to show you how to do certain shots how to do proper script writing how to do character development that's all in this so even as much as it you know is quote unquote a popcorn well I guess it was main movie it still has a lot of the elements of what we consider a classic film yeah well I mean that that's what I said I mean the whole that whole bit with uh, Han and Leia I mean that could have been the Philadelphia story that could have been Roman Holiday that could have been Breakfast at Tiffany's and it, that's what they were going for and it's just absolutely so perfect. Yeah, and again, it's 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 because Lucas gave up the reins and let someone else take his ideas and perfect them on the big screen. So absolutely, like I said, this is this is my perfect Star Wars movie. This is one of my a perfect movie in general. If it came out today, I'd be at a ten. I, 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 if I could give it above a ten, I would give it above a ten. Okay, we've just been joined by Danielle and Egg. Hi. We're talking, oh! <laughs> Hi. We're talking about Empire Strikes Back and why it's the greatest movie ever made. It's so it's good. <laughs> what? Well, oh. ever made. I didn't say ever, ever made. made. I said it's, I said the, best it's the best Star Wars movie, movie ever made. Yeah, it's a Star Wars movie. Absolutely. Yeah. So. Anyway, so awesome. we've got guests now, so I guess we should probably wrap things up. So we're going to do some karaoke. Karaoke. Yeah, oh, yes. So, hey, everyone, thank you very much for hanging out. Uh, next week, we've got... The uh, next week we've got the big short, which is uh, the kind of documentary about, or not documentary. It's the drama comedy about people betting on the American banking system failing. Um, we've got in the heart of the sea. In the heart of the sea, which is the quote-unquote true story based where Moby Dick came from, starring Thor. Yep, and we've got Macbeth, starring Michael Fassbender. And by the time we record next time, I will have seen the hateful eight, but I won't be able to talk about it. Unless you coerce me nicely and talk about things that maybe I can't or shouldn't. So. I will have seen The Road Chip, and I will not be able to talk about it, but you don't want to hear about it anyway. So we will talk about The Road Chip when we talk about The Force Awakens, <laughs> unfortunately, and you won't care about The Road exactly. Chip. Exactly. No one else will. that? Yep. Yeah, so... Oh, um, <laughs> so yeah, and then next week we will, actually with that, we'll finish up with Return of the Jedi just in time for all of us to go and see The Force Awakens. Except for a few people who have already seen it, you lucky sons of bitches. Um, Seriously, though, we love you guys, and we're excited for you. So, thank you very much for tuning in. Hail Satan, and have a lovely afternoon. And may the Force be with you. Always. Always. Punk ass tripping, but it's alright. Homie scored a key, he's gonna fly. Punk ass fly.